Welcome sentient beings from all known universes and beyond. It's time to activate your cranial downlinks and prepare to receive a raft of discussion on a cosmic ocean of science fiction and fantasy topics, interviews with local area genre devotees, and insightful prognostication by our soothsayers of science fiction, our forecasters of fantasy, and any other beings that happen to get caught in our gravity well. This is the Galactic Driftwood Podcast. And welcome to this episode of the Galactic Driftwood Podcast. I'm Bill. I'm Seth. I'm Jenna. I'm Chris. And we have um, a friend of the show again, Stu Burns, joining us. Uh, Stu is a vampire folklorist, uh, uh, probably vampire hunter, (laughs) if if truth be known. And uh, we're going to have an interesting discussion, I think, this time. Stu is going to be talking to us about a uh, Italian horror film uh, director, Mario Bava, B-A-V-A. And uh, Stu's been uh, doing some research on him for a paper that he's working on. So, Stu, I'm going to turn it over to you and let you kind of jump in here and let us know about this this guy and some of the films that he's done. Oh, okay. Well, you know, you know, Mario Bava is, you know, he... He might be the great lost filmmaker. I mean, he's a, he's a huge cult favorite. You know, people who are into Baba really, really love Baba. And then people who are, uh, if you've ever seen the movie, movies by Dario Argento or people who are influenced by Dario Argento, that's that kind of thing. He really is kind of the caboose to Mario Baba. He really you know, kind of takes up where Baba ends up leaving off. Um, where that's a good thing or a bad thing is, is open to some debate. But, you know, Baba, he, he's one of these guys who started off... Um, as a cinematographer, as a lot of directors do, you know, doing, you know, making these incredible images for, for, for other filmmakers, you know, do, doing at least a competent job. And in 1957, there was this um, Eye Vampiri movie that was filming in, in Italy and their director quit. And some, and the producer said, you know, Mario, you know, step in, get this thing done, finish it off. So for five days, he worked on this movie into the editing and he, Piece together this halfway competent vampire movie, and people said, "Well, you know, he he was a pro. He brought everything in on time. It's all good." And they had him, and he ended up being basically the relief pitcher on a couple other movies like that because they bring in a guy to finish up the movie. Well, he's done it before. He can do it again. And in 1960, he got to do this. He finally got control of his own production. He made this movie called Black Sunday, uh, which has just these. And as a cinematographer, he brought in these incredible images. He based it on a Russian novel by Nikolai Gogol called uh, the, uh, the V. Uh, has a very complex, uh, very metaphysical plot involving a lot of reincarnation and recognition and um, and, and and history and 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 all sorts of things. And he really really went in some interesting directions with it. Uh, what was interesting about the time that he was working? Yeah, that's that, that's Barbara Steele there as 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 as, as um playing a double role. Actually, she plays both. Um, a 200-year-old witch who was killed during the Inquisition and a young woman who's living today. And, of course, there, there's the idea that one is the reincarnation of the other. Yeah, again, you have these striking images of she throws back the robe and here's her, her exposed ribcage. Like, oh, my goodness. And all that sort of thing. So, that, yeah, that, he becomes, that, that becomes more his... That becomes his signature with the images. Um, but he, at, at least uh, Black Sunday itself has a, is kind of a thought-provoking piece as well. Uh, but the trouble, the trouble he run, runs into 
And to some degree, this has a little bit to do with when he was making movies. In 1960, the studio system in Hollywood had basically collapsed. And you know, like it, from the like in the 30s and 40s, you had the same organizations that were supplying the money and then owned the production, the studio was making the movies, and then owned the theaters, owned the distribution, sometimes owned the newspapers that would advertise the movies. You know, RTO would be straight all, all the way down. You know, some like uh, MGM or Paramount, they'd, they'd have their own, their own theaters in cities all over the country. And that's how they distribute movies. And by 1960, that had largely broken down. And so you had these people saying, well, if we want to make movies, we can put our money anywhere we want to. Let's, let's throw some money at Europe because they can maybe do a little cheaper. Um, that European mar- market is a little more built in, bring them over here and you know, show them in um, second tier theaters, do, do what we want to do and make a good return on that. So Bob was making these movies, but he's making them with the idea that they're going to go beyond Italy. You know, they're going to get recut. This is the, the same, this is the same environment that like Sergio Leone's Good than good, the good than bad. The alley comes out of you know the, the spaghetti westerns all come out the same, the, the same um, financial paradigm. But what ends up happening as he exports these movies? Like the next movie he makes, the first next big production he does is, is a movie called The Girl Who Knew Who Knew Too Much, and it's a takeoff on the on the Alfred Hitchcock movie. And the the original cut is is intriguing. It's a you know it's got a lot of the Hitchcock suspense in it. it stars you know John Saxon who's some of you folks will know from A Nightmare on Elm Street. Some of you will know him from Enter the Dragon. And it was a nice suspense movie. It wasn't as well done as a Hitchcock, but it was a nice suspense movie. And again, had some tremendous imagery, some tremendous shading, you know, use of shadow, you know, kind of like, kind, kind of like Jenna's uh, video right now, actually. You, know, you, you black out the back and make it look all mysterious and whatnot. <laughs> Um, well, and, and Chris's too, actually, to tell it. Tell it. <laughs> yeah. Hey, it's called mood lighting, sir. That's right. Absolutely. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And Bob, Bob was really a master at that early on. Yes. Yeah. The girl who knew too much. The problem was the studio saw it and said, ah, this isn't commercial enough. And so they recut it, shot a few more scenes uh, with the lead actors and with, and with the lead actor, the John Jackson, brought him back in and made it into almost a co- like halfway a comedy. Mm-hmm. So, so instead of being someone who's, you know, intelligent and canny and trying to work things out, she becomes more of a character who's kind of bumbling her way through this mystery. And they and made it almost a completely different movie. Um, kind of destroyed this, the suspense in places too. There will be times when she's being pursued and suddenly it just cuts to another scene. Um, you, you'd be tempted to say that she just, they flat out ruined the movie, really, uh, through, through the recutting. But, you know, they, they did reasonably good business with it. And Baba realized that if I'm going to keep making movies in this situation, I'm going to have to make them with the idea that, that, that they're going to be recut, that this is going to happen. My stuff's going to get butchered. And so instead of focusing on plot, he started po- focusing even more on making these, these images, on this photography. Uh, he latched onto the hammer mo- motif of um, a lot more lush color. Um, using the frame very creatively to make use of this small budget. Cause if you only show this much, mm-hmm. you're not showing all the ugliness around you. You're, you're not, no, not, you're not showing the, uh, the half finished sets or the, the, the smaller sets. You can make the world look a lot bigger than it is in, in these movies. And Stu, real quick is part of that too, because he wasn't not only the director, he loved doing special effects and was known for special effects. Like he, you brought up Dario Argento and he had actually worked on the special effects for Inferno which is one of his movies that's uh, in the trilogy that was started with Suspiria. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, so yeah. that passion for creating the effects kind of supplemented when he knew they were going to disrupt his story. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, he said, you just, if I make, if I put these images up here, I know they can't do anything with that. They're going to have to include that because it just looks so good. And you start, you start focusing on that. And you, you have the idea that he, he was still trying to make, he was still trying it at, at, at certain points to, to really be able to overcome this paradigm he got himself into. In 1972, uh, he made this movie called uh, Le- yeah. the, the title's reason is amazing, Lisa and the Devil, mm-hmm. starring uh, Elkie Summer and Telly Savalas, of all people. Yeah, yeah, the idea of Telly Savalas playing the devil with uh, the lollipop and everything is just pretty surreal. And once you know that, and that thing showed in con, at the Cannes Film Festival, at the Paris Opera House, for or at, or at the Paris Theater, excuse me, for for a few days and got some good good notices. But the distributor said, you know what, we can't do anything with this. It's too abstract. It's too arty. And so so they, again, they took it, they recut it, they add some they added some scenes, and made it into an, basically a sequel to The Exorcist. Wow. Yeah, you, which had, the movie had nothing to do with. Yeah. Um, added some duty and all that stuff. You know, just really tried to, to sell to sell the movie. So you you we we have with Baba is a guy who made who made Black Sunday, which is a legitimately great creepy film. And he kind of loses control over it. Uh, he, he keeps making movies. He's making a living, which is better than most of us do in this in a business like this. But um, he, he he doesn't really fulfill the potential he probably had making such a good film early on uh, he he does some flat out bad work he made the the sequel to dr goldfoot and the bikini machine <laughs> dr goldfoot and the girl bombs this sounds amazing oh yeah yes, it's it, you know, yeah the, the first one started vincent price and frankie avalon um, <laughs> not two people you would think of in the same uh oh same god family. yeah it's, what it, it's, hollywood bet was lost to make that <laughs> That's that's the thing. Somebody I can tell throw, Chris is looking at pictures. <laughs> He's like, I have somebody, to know. Somebody <laughs> wanted to throw the money at it, and so they so they brought him on. He said, Yeah, what the heck, I'll do it. You know, by now, what the heck, I'll do it. Um, because anything I try to, that I try to do that's really good, you're going to recut anyway. It's, it's it's sort of a mentality of maybe you accept a defeat, maybe perhaps a little bit too easily, perhaps not. Perhaps none of us mm-hmm. have been in his shoes. He ends up making this movie based on an Italian comic book called uh, Diabolique, which some of you. Well, it says a lot about the movie that most of you, if you're familiar with the final film, Diabolique, you're probably familiar with it from its Mystery Science Theater 3000 episode. Yes. Yes, I have. Yes, I've seen this. <clears throat> yes, that's, that's, that says a lot. That says probably all you need to know about, about the movie. It ends up looking just, just kind of silly. And so, so my, my question to the group and to our esteemed audience is where else have you, have you seen this where you see an edit, you know, an edited version, either because it's foreign distribution or because the um, movie gets away from gets away from the producer or from the director or whatever, where you've made a real distinct change in what this was supposed to be and what it ended up being. Um, I, I, I can think of, of some examples. Yeah, you know, gosh, um, one one early example is not 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 a genre movie, but it, but you can. Um, certainly see where it's going. Ingmar Bergman, one of my favorite, great, great Swedish directors, one of, the, one of the greatest directors in the history of film. One of his earliest movies was called Summer, A Summer with Monica. And it's a wonderful, sensitive film about 
two young people who, you know, have, who ha- have a baby and the stresses that place place on their life and what and what happens after that. The American distributors got a hold of that and they made it. They recut that and made it and promoted it as basically softcore pornography. And it was showing at the little, you know, must that must be eighteen to get in type type of yeah the NC seventeen when they were promoting that rating. That would explain yeah. the Google search results. <laughs> yeah. okay, and, and this is back in the 1950s when anything from Sweden is like, ooh, free love and all that. And they and so, and so, so, so they got a whole, you know, it maximizes what, what, what nudity actually Bergman did, did include the movie in the 1950s. And uh, it, so a guy like Bergman, who easily could have said the same thing, said, you know what, no matter what I do, they're going to, when he gets overseas, they're going to absolutely butcher this thing. So what do I do? <laughs> and he doesn't surrender. You know, he ends up making gosh, some of the best movies ever made. And he, and he gets control over it. So, mm. so no, matter, no matter what I do, they're going to put more boobs in it. So I might as well just go ahead and do that to start. Do the boobs in my style. So at least it'll, it'll work. <laughs> um, so I can think of actually a modern US film that they tore apart and took away from it. And that's Knights of Bad Aston which is a very like in itself it's a fun comedy horror from 2013 directed by joe lynch and it's about an rpg uh or actually straight up a larping event larping yep that um goes terribly wrong when uh, a succubus is accidentally summoned oh my and God. there was a lot of great hype there was this this movie had a lot of love around it peter dinklage was in it some characters from community um and what you got at the end, because they ended up like removing some of the key producer, the director at the end, they, you can tell that they had edited it down to something they thought would be more commercially appealing. Yep. And it lost, you could tell there was a lot lost. Like it was, it was, it was fun, but it wasn't everything it could be. And then it's, right. and you yeah, can tell was- by the actors change, like when leading up to the film, the actors were super excited. And then afterward, is like they got struck in the face what they saw yeah it, it's true potential was robbed I, I actually own that movie and i've watched it a few times and and what you got wasn't really as jenna was pointing out what we were expecting kind of going into it and, and that can happen in movies but this one was just seemed like the soul was kind of taken out of it it was sliced and diced for the big screen this will sell more and realistically the fan base that wanted this was like, well, no, we don't. We don't care what those people want. We want what we actually expected to see right. out of this. And I think the actors, uh, all of them that were involved, were really into wanting to see uh, what we would have hoped would have came out of that. And I, I think that kind of also destroyed it for them too. So, yeah, there was a campaign for the director's cut. I mean, yep. it it hasn't succeeded yet. And not that I've seen. Um, there no. was an anticipation for it, but. Uh, it was just really disappointing. It was one of those things where you saw the studio, like the, the the dudes in suits who have no creativity themselves, just caring about dollar signs versus letting something be the magical thing it needs to be. And they don't, yeah, and they don't get it. Like they'll they'll look through a screening and they just they just don't get it. And and I don't think that they should be the ones making ultimately the creative decisions at the end of the day. Yep. And it should be like, look, if we put this out there and you don't make the money, then I just don't work with you anymore. Yeah, and that should be that. It shouldn't be. Well, I don't get it, so I don't think it'll make money, and so I want to slice and dice it to make it this, and I think that's acceptable. And then it comes out to be garbage. And we've yeah. already had a whole I... podcast about this, but the same was with the Empty Man. Oh, yes. That you know, 
they produce something, there's a lot of potential, and then the studio was bought by another studio, and you know, they're like, Oh, we don't like it, we don't get it. That was a case though where that didn't happen though. They tried it and it just didn't work and they released it in the Yeah, what ultimately got released was the original Yeah, I mean version that they wanted, but it was an attempt. You're right. There was an attempt to do that. The, so even though it was released as the original, they they still hamstringed the promotion. They didn't give it its full worth because yep. they didn't they didn't see the value. Now, think, another, go ahead. But, I was going to say the sorry. Who who is supposed to go ahead? I don't know. <laughs> uh, well, the one that uh, immediately comes to mind for me whether you liked it or you didn't is uh justice league i was gonna bring that one up yes. <laughs> and jenna i'm not we're not getting into whether we liked it or can not, we not this, just, just you can dip example. your toes let's not go down the rabbit hole i'm not going great. down the rabbit hole don't worry i'm just bringing it up as part of this conversation yes uh yeah that was another one where um an original vision was chopped up to be something a little bit different and 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 the thing is is you have these major plot lines that can be kind of deviated that completely ruins uh, a film. And, and it could be something as little as a 30 second scene um, that really helps tie it together for other people or drives home a key point that when you cut that out, for the sake of cutting it out, or it's just too smart for you, then you ruin it. Um, kind of helps, kind of makes the film fall apart. So to me, it's like cutting out chapters of a book. Yeah. You know, out of a yeah. novel. And I mean, just, an editor can tell you that this isn't working here. Uh, you need to consider to cut this or to reframe it. But that's less what we're, we're talking more about studio executives coming in right. and going, we can make this more marketable. Uh, toss in two more sex scenes, lose this boring talking shit. Yep. But One, I uh, think what... Oh. Stu is doing by bringing us this um, mm-hmm. this specific person because like you look at the images if you even just search him and you're like I've seen that I've seen that and if especially if you're a horror movie fan you're like oh yeah I totally see the the roots of this one director that I like uh, like Dario Argento or um, I mean the ones that like this like that produce these very like the lighting and everything that comes together to set the mood of that film their roots being in this act, this director, like, I guess he's credited too for being the father of slasher films because he did Twitch of the Death, uh, AKA, Twitch of the Death ner- uh, Nerve, AKA Bay of Blood. Bay of Blood, yeah. And I don't know if you want to touch on that too. And I think, so if you love the horror genre and you, all these images and color, I think color, like you brought up, Stu, is really important. These aspects that tinge the, the Halloween season he he really is someone who set the stage for that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He definitely t- he definitely takes that that to the next level. He has, but it, again, it's part of like the whole like I can throw this idea out there, but he's either doesn't get fully realized because I mean, and perhaps it's just because he's after a while he just wasn't that good at narrative anymore you know, because he lets that atrophy, or he's decided I know that it's not going to be presented in that way, and so I'm really going to be putting it out there you know, just for the imagery, you know, just the pictures. And it becomes you know, almost more of a, as you said, like a, a source for filmmakers as opposed to um, as opposed to a great filmmaker per se, you know, per se in the uh, in his own right. And yeah, like you say, you know, he largely invents the slasher movie, where it's like, okay, this you, know, you, you like this, you 
1964 is a great movie called Blood and Black Lace, which is sort of a proto-slasher movie. Mm-hmm. But then towards the end of the 60s, like, okay, you like that? Well, you know, well, well, well here we go. And I'm going to really start slashing the heck out of, out of people and seeing and showing, you know, increasingly gruesome murders and showing, you know, the color red in that way to show red blood, which is something that Dario Argento absolutely latches onto and makes a, and makes a lifetime out of it practically. Um, you know, th- throwing more nudity out there, throwing more, more, more lurid content. You know, a lot, a lot with what the Hammer folks are doing, but he's doing it with a little, little more shock. Um, you know, make, make it's a little, little rougher, a little more jagged, got a little more emotion to it than some of the, ha- the Hammer stuff. Um, but yet, but again, it kind of, and it comes back to this idea that he knows it's going to get recut. Yeah, I mean, yeah that's sorry well that's, and, and to, to go back to, to a classic you know because i realize i i'm my, my email is to the history guy so I, I live in the past obviously <laughs> but the most reveal your email on here well there you go <laughs> um well you don't know the domain so there you are yeah but um i the, the classic example i can think of was something that actually that of a studio cut that all really absolutely makes a genre practically and you're probably yeah. I see Chris nodding. You know what I'm going to tell you. Know what I'm going to say probably don't you? Mm-hmm. Um, Gojira. Yeah, have, have, have I was going to mention you? that. Yeah, yeah, because that was one that was highly. It came out in 1954 in in Japan, right? And mm-hmm. then uh, it was brought to the United States in 1956 and re-edited, where a lot of the um, plot themes were either changed or completely eliminated. Mm-hmm. Um, because it was a highly anti-nuclear film when it came out in Japan, right? But right. they didn't want to um, keep that when they brought it to American audiences because, you know, America was investing heavily into nuclear weapons at the time, and so they didn't uh, they didn't want to keep that same theme in that in the movie. So, and they just probably and they also just commercially didn't think it would play. I mean, you know, Gojira is a is almost a poetic film. There are scenes. Where, you know, when Godzilla attacking Tokyo and the people who were pr- almost blasé about it, saying like, "I lived through the bombings in '45, it can't be as bad as that," right. and you know, this this, this woman's, you know, is raised, you know, is Godzilla's coming down on her and her children. She says, "We'll be with your father soon." You know, this this real idea of the historical moment in that movie, and when it comes to America, yeah, they they recut it almost entirely. Yeah. Much like Baba, they just keep the images. They say, okay, we've got the giant monster squashing a city. Okay, we'll keep all that stuff. But then we'll throw in Perry Mason. Right, right. We'll Raymond throw in Burr. Raymond Burr as the right. main character narrating this mm-hmm. thing. Mm-hmm. And it, it almost entirely, it's it, it's an entirely film, different film. Yeah. Right. What about the, we watched The Prince of Space at your place, Bill. Yeah. That's another one that they, they kind of did that too, where what it was a series beforehand, and then they just like shrubbed it all into two movies. Mm-hmm. Right. Edited it all together so that it made sense and oh, or tried to make yeah. sense of it as a single movie. Made sense. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> right. Loosely yeah. turned. I uh, I drank myself to sleep on that one. So <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, another movie they did that with. Um, and whether that's, this is genre or not is up to you is uh, Mulholland Drive the, the David Lynch film that was going to be a television series and he lost funding for the TV series and well I'll take what I've got and I'll make a movie out of it and it was it, and it's a heck of a movie it, it, it did work so I do, I do wonder with um, 
we've seen success in uh, fan and community pushback to get releases of things. We, we saw it, uh, Seth brought it up earlier with like the Justice League and getting that director's cut. And I am curious going forward whether or not voices will be loud enough to continue to get if, if, if people are voicing like, hey, just so you guys know, this is garbage when it hits the big screen, but I do have a cut that was actually yeah. better in their opinion, whether we'll continue to see that. I, I, I would I would love to see that come to fruition, but at the same time, I, I'd also hate it because so in the future, we'd be talking about two versions of a film always. Uh, why do we always have to the director's cut? Can't we just get what the movie was supposed to be? Um, uh, Terminator 2 is a great point, I think, of that. Yeah, that's because another one, yeah. If you've seen, like, there was so many great little scenes that um, connected the narrative and world built even more. Mm-hmm. Um, like the whole, unless you've been lucky enough, because I think there's been a couple of different director's cuts. The one where, uh, not Sean Bean, because that's the guy who dies in every movie, but who is the, the guy who played Reese in the original film? Oh. That actor. Because oh. um, he was also in Aliens and Tombstone. God, anyway, you would know him. The guy who played Reese in the original movie actually makes a an appearance in Terminator 2 to tell Sarah no fate but what we make and you, you don't get that and I think both the original release and the first director's cut like I think it was the second or by that time the third release of direct of James Cameron's vision that you finally get those full little details that, uh, that made Bean. it Richard Michael Bean yes Michael Bean gosh yeah, you said Sean Bean. I could not get it out of my head. No, I know. That's right. <laughs> like, I know there's a bean. There's a bean. Well, and, uh, you know, uh, not to interrupt. Sorry, Janet. Uh, but uh, a couple of episodes ago, we, um, we reviewed that movie, The Empty Man. And if you recall from that, um, in that, that was a two and a half hour um, horror film that we watched. And uh, mm-hmm. it was originally... Uh, edited down from a three-hour movie to two and a half but then the it was screened before studio execs who hated it and they decided that it wasn't going to work and they um, edited had it edited down into an hour and a half movie screened it before audiences and it played so miserably they decided okay screw it we'll just let it go as a two and a half hour movie and let it and let it get out there but they really didn't put any support behind it and um as a result, it uh, was largely unknown, and it's starting to be rediscovered now. It came out in 2020, and people are starting to discover it, and it's kind of turned into a bit of a cult following. I don't know if you've heard of it, Stu, or seen it. You you, uh, you, you shared with me earlier, did, so I, haven't, yeah. I haven't seen it yet. No. Okay, yeah, it's, um, it's, it's really a good film. I, I think every one of us here that yeah, saw it liked really it, right? enjoyed it. Yeah, and so one of those hidden gems out there really is HBO great. Max, correct? Yes, correct. Yeah. Even yeah. so, even though there might be two versions, which I know is irritating to you, Chris, what I'm hoping with all these streaming services is that the the directors who have this unfortunate hamstringing of their films can do is pipe up really loud. Well, if you want the real deal, I have it, and then someone will come pick it up. I, I, I will say this while I'm annoyed by it, I'm I'm more annoyed by not having the availability of it. Yeah, um, no, that that's it, true. They like lock uh, it in a vault. Yeah, like the I, I would rather have it. Dune. 
yeah, with all the streaming services that we have, and, and since we've moved to Blu-ray, there, there's no reason to have all that content upon release. What I don't want is the only version available in the first two, three years of that movie being released is the 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 one that was released to theaters or whatever. And then a few years later, if you wait, you get the other version. Just just release it all at once. I, for one, will happily pay a little more to have more of that content uh, so, in there. Uh, Stu, I'm guessing that the uncut versions of Mario Baba's movies are available? They're, uh, well, um, they're, 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 they're beginning to be, yeah. I mean, part okay. of it is that a lot of stuff was done preemptively. Like, you know, like the, the um, movie I was talking about, uh, you know, uh, Lisa and the Devil, which was recut to House of Exorcism. Mm-hmm. And, and ended up playing in drive-ins across the United States and made five million dollars in 1975 dollars. That was that was actually pretty good. Um, yes, that 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 is available. Um, yeah, a lot, a lot of them are, are they're increasing they're increasingly available. Um, you can take a look at them. I get the feeling though that again, at least past his first four or five movies, he he kind of they they almost kind of gave up. You know, you can say I'm I'm going to be a yeah. martyr. I'm going to suffer for this thing or i'm going to say you know what i'm going to make a living and i'm going to i'm going to go do stuff which a lot of people a lot of people do um good because the converse I, I i love this little story because i think it's actually it might be true is that when uh, miramax uh, was going to distribute uh, princess mononoke the great um kind of studio ghibli film um the 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 way the, the, the original of course now i can't can't remember who, who directed Princess Mononoke? The uh, uh, Miyazaki, excuse me. Yeah, when, when Miyazaki, the, the legends of Miyazaki did this. Miyazaki says, I, I didn't do this, but my producer did. They sent a katana full size to Harvey Weinstein. <laughs> with a note saying, no cuts. cuts. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> uh, not so subtle threat, maybe? Yes, yeah, so some, sometimes you can get around it. Well, it's like one. It's just a really nice present, but two, it's also a bit of a threat. Right? Yeah, there, 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 there's certainly the implication there. Yeah, I, I did not, I did not know that little story, and I hope that it's absolutely true. Uh, and uh, I'm glad it came out the, you know, the way it did or whatever. It's one, it's one of my uh, early uh, uh, animated films that I really grew to love. So yeah, I think uh, that's one of the first ones that I would have seen too. Yep. Yep. If I ever get a katana in the mail from Jenna, I'll take it for the threat that it will be. <laughs> I don't I think like that... to deliver things personally. Yeah, so. Right, right. Yeah. I... And, and honestly, can can you see what a, an American studio would have tried to have done with, with a movie like Princess Mononoke? Mm. This incredible, deep, dreamlike, yes. very culturally specific landscape. Yeah. It's very difficult uh, to comprehend in, in a lot of places. If they recut that thing, you they, you easily could destroy Oh yeah, all of that. Yeah, I and, could see American an American company just like cutting out everything and everything they could to make it a G-rated film. I mean, uh, and and that wouldn't be the only film from Studio uh, Ghibli that that they would probably end up doing that too. So I I uh, um I collect a lot, a lot of I just recently bought a new uh, Blu-ray box set with all the Studio Ghibli films, and and when you go through them, it's if they were to rob anything out of there, it would just completely ruin it. And I think uh, uh, the following that they have and, and, and the fan base has grown because it's been left untouched pretty much. You know, it's it hasn't been butchered uh, like we have a lot of other films. I mean, I'm a so on, on the on the 
animated size and animates on the anime size uh, side of things, just so you guys are aware of what butchering can look like. You know, I'm a big uh, Dragon Ball Z fan, right? There are several up. versions of Dragon Ball Z out there that are recut and edited constantly uh, and re-released from shorter versions to longer versions. And it is annoying. I'm, I'm one of the biggest fans out there and I own pretty much every edition. And um, there are literally some editions that completely cut out most of the storyline and you lose appreciation for the characters or, or, or certain things. It doesn't flow. And that translates to a lot of movies, which is, I mean, obviously what we're talking about today. Uh, so I'm just thankful that Studio Ghibli didn't have to go through that. But not every studio is that lucky. Um, there's a lot of things. Especially the early happen. ones. Yeah, a lot of the early ones. So, like um, my gateway anime was Sailor Moon, and that series was absolutely butchered to the point yep, that they were yep. editing. Sailor Moon is another one that a lot of people grew oh. up with, and they just don't understand how much was cut out of it. Um, how so dark much some of these things animated. Be. Yeah, yeah. Because like the the original version of DBZ that came over and showed on uh, Cartoon, Cartoon Network, Network yeah. they had to take out everything that might be offensive to conservative America. Which so they got rid of all the blood they could. Mm -hmm. yeah. uh, Master Roshi is famously <laughs> not drinking beer, but drinking. Now I'm drinking orange not, juice. Not looking now at Playboy beer. magazines or anything <laughs> like that. Like like Master Roshi's a bit of a pervert, and they and they cut a lot of that out. So oh, they had to uh, cut a lot of stuff yeah. out of the original Dragon Ball too, probably. Yeah. So uh, yeah, and, and it, what's resulted in over the years is they keep releasing these unedited versions, if you will, or whatever. I continue to collect them. I go through them. I've watched about every edition there is out there. But you see how much it it gets taken away uh, from what the original writers were doing. So, but and so I think uh, we we're all a little bit tired of the same play by play commercial shit that's coming out of Hollywood. And I think if they would just take the chance and just start letting people do their full visions instead of trying to like, let's just do something quality. That is the vision that the creator has and make a fan following maybe a surprise hit for people who you wouldn't have thought liked it, but they love it because of it versus watering it down to be as appealing to as many people as possible. And then they're just I, like, mm -hmm. I, I think it comes down to, you know, like, look, Hollywood, we're all adults. <laughs> don't filter what it is that that, that I kind of want to see or what the director's vision is. I don't need my content edited uh, so that I can warm up to it or anything like that. Like, like it is what it is. I'm going to love it or I'm going to hate it. And that's, that's it. I, right. I will give you a little bit of pushback as an author here, Jenna, in that every author, every creative person needs someone, either an editor or a friend who's got, taste that they can trust to just slap their face every now well, and again I, and I go, think that's fair no, and I, <laughs> you, I, you're getting out of control you can't make a five-hour conversational piece movie <laughs> that's Stop fine it. if it's a friend or someone who can help support like, the great. vision as we're it's talking not about some like suits. the yeah i, I know suits. the suits yeah. get the suits out of it but every creative person needs someone who can rein them back in before they get agree, to full of their own that. bullshit. And, yeah, and a lot of that owes to media. What we forget is just how expensive filmmaking has become uh -huh. in the 2020s. I mean, my God, it's just, I mean, if you compare it to something like writing prose or even, or even mm -hmm. draw or, or doing comics or anything like that, you know, you know like the, nowadays, 8 million, 
an eight million dollar movie is a is a very low budget film. Mm-hmm. And that, that's eight, which is you know, which is mind blowing. That is that yeah. is eight million dollars. Yeah, and that, that, what are you that, doing with that budget. money? Well, yeah. I mean, craft you know, services. Well, and, and if you think about, you know, how um, high definition uh, movies and, and TV have really changed what you see on screen. I mean, I was reading something the other day. Um, they were talking about the original Star Trek, The Next Generation, and how they had, you know, um, signs in the corridors that would identify different rooms. And it would have the room description on it. And then underneath uh they would just write some nonsense stuff like uh something from the wizard of oz for example knowing that screens and tvs of that time the resolution was so poor you would never be able to make that out but now you know that stands out on screen and people will take that type of stuff and blow it up and make a big deal out of it right so you have to have super attention to detail on everything you do in these new shows and i think that brings in a level of complexity that just wasn't there before for one thing that helps you know um increase costs of films but you can also do stuff on a low budget that mm-hmm. looks way better than anything we got 20 years ago mm-hmm. like some youtube channels are doing amazing things yeah. on no budget yep. just yeah. people who wanted to make something cool yeah some of those shorts on free um, time thing some mm-hmm. of those shorts on dust are amazing those sci-fi shorts mm-hmm. with so, what they do with those so. obviously i love the movies that are going to keep them coming but appreciating the roots that they came out of and kind of like that that history is important too which is what Stu brought us today if if people are preparing their Halloween watch list, what are the top one or two Mario Baba films that our audience has to see? Um, oh, oh, if you want to include some Baba, if you haven't seen Black Sunday, you got to see Black Sunday. Okay, that that movie is amazing. Um, but you know, you know what gets me is the, the the titles of some of these movies are just ludicrous, especially when you compare them with the content. Um, there's a mid '60s movie he did called Kill Baby Kill. <laughs> that is, and i've seen that one actually yeah that was okay. a, a good ghost story yeah yeah it's very i mean honestly in some of this stuff is very derivative a lot that's a lot of filmmakers are as it's as it's opening up i, I was thinking oh my goodness this, this is another panner movie because it opens just like every dracula movie ever made and then just goes on from there it's, it's kind of like you know as as seth can tell you some one of the great writing exercises is you start with the beginning of somebody else's story and you just go on from there and it looked it looks almost like that's what it did but it's a very arcane film, um, always still a lot of good imagery. Better cuts. It's more more delicate movie. That that was one he probably kept some kept a little more uh, control over. So yeah, so yeah, Black Sunday, Kill Baby Kill, and a four, let's see a fourth one that's very um, appropriate for Halloween. You know, if you if you just want to go for it, you know, just watch a Bay of Blood. Just Ooh. say the heck with it. You know, go go hard or go home. <laughs> and it sounds like from the content of that movie some people did go hard so <laughs> absolutely yeah, yeah i mean yeah, yeah, you know the friday the 13th series flat out steals some of the murder scenes from that from that movie it's from, mm. it's from italy no one will ever notice that it came from that movie <laughs> right exactly all right and any other like let because obviously in your um research of him for this paper and and the upcoming conference that you're going to. So if you guys want to see uh, Stu in a conference, 
you should definitely uh, tell us that information at the end of the podcast. But is there anyone else you discovered uh, in your research of him that we should be aware of and that you want to throw out for people to well, check out as well? well Less well, known. That I discovered. I'm not, not sure of anyone that I discovered off the top of my head. What if you're going if you're going to want to um into and, and by the way, the, the by, by the time this airs, the conference will have will have been and gone, unfortunately. Oh. But, um if you want to have another experience of a movie that's just had all kinds of issues with editing and, and successive cuts, one of the great horror films of all time, a movie that's act, one of its nicknames is the Citizen Kane of horror movies, is a movie called The Wicker Man. Mm. And not not the Nicolas Cage version, for the love of God. Yeah, the, 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 I was going to say, <laughs> okay. I've seen The Wicker Man with Nicolas Cage, right. and I drank myself to sleep. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you would have to. But it's, um, oh gosh, it's, you know, Christopher Lee is the, is the. Okay. One of my all-time favorite, Christopher Lee, like one of the best Draculas of all time. Yeah. Yep. 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 Jenna, have you seen Wicker Man? Uh, no, I haven't. It was always on my list that I need to see, but I, I You'd love it. it. It's I know it's been highlighted as like if you love horror, you have to watch it. Mm-hmm. If you love horror, if you've ever been to Mystic Fest. Yes. Uh, you, you'll love it. It, it, it. It's interesting because the um, it's it's really it, it, was, it was made in 1973 when the whole idea of when paganism was still resolutely considered mostly a, a, a bad thing. Mm. But, and, and by the end of this film, you, you might still come to that conclusion, you know, the way that the film tells the story, but just watching, because it's about a, a police inspector who goes to an island of pagans, you know, off, off, off the, you know, it's part of Britain, but it's an island where they've basically gone, gone to pagan ways. You know, they've abandoned Christian religion, gone to pagan ways, and to investigate um, a missing child. And regardless of how the movie ends up, their way of life is, I, ha- I have to say, is just undoubtedly very appealing mm. in, in a lot of ways. You start wondering, is this would be a darn good way to live, to be a, much more open about, about sexuality, yeah. about nature, about people's re- relationship to each other. Um, it's, 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 a heck, it's a heck of a little movie. It's a heck of a little movie. And, it's, and towards the end, especially, especially, it's absolutely terrifying. <laughs> Yay! But the way of life definitely well worth a little bit of child sacrifice. One or two, come on. Human sacrifice is fine. I mean, probably a bad kid anyway. Didn't put their clothes to, away. Didn't do the dishes. Talk yeah, back. Yeah, the old gods parents. don't need good kids. Come on. <laughs> and you know, Seth, if I was going to re- rebut that, I'd have to. I'd, there'd be a spoiler warning, so I'm just going to have to. If you haven't seen the movie. That if there's one that's absolutely worth it, absolutely go for it. But it, but it, here's the the crux is it exists in a number of different cuts. Oh. And try okay. to get the most complete one possible. But um, in in the most complete ones possible, you'll see some places where it's just obviously they they got they got a reel from just a terrible from just a terrible print. Uh. So yeah, you, you'll you'll see some oddities in the, in the middle of the movie. But you try to get the most complete cut possible. It's a that is just one heck of a movie. If I was like, if I, yeah, so if I was going to recommend two, even even above the other Babas, yeah, yeah, Black Sunday is a fantastic movie, and um, and to take a good look at, at what edits can do to a movie, The, uh, the Wicker Man, is just fantastic. All right. All right. But then if you just want mindless fun, just go Bay of Blood, oh yeah. <laughs> awesome. Thank you so much, Stu. Yep. Thank you, Stu. Appreciate it. And uh, 
We'll uh, be looking forward to another appearance of yours next next time around. So, um, or come take, back whenever you want. Yeah, yeah, we like. Yeah, yeah. Let us know when you're available, or if you're working on something you think might be interesting to our listeners, let us know. We'll have you on to talk about it. Well, thank you very much. You're welcome. So, well, thank you all for listening to this episode of the Galactic Driftwood Podcast. Uh, you can find more of our episodes on galacticdriftwood.space. And of course, you can check out our partner podcasts on synergynation.net. Quite a few different types of shows out there. You might find one that appeals to something you're interested in. So take care and we will see you all next time. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Galactic Driftwood Podcast. For more information and past episodes, please visit our website at galacticdriftwood.space or subscribe to us on YouTube. And now, please deactivate your cranial downlinks, collect your towels, and be sure to watch your step as you exit our gravity well. <laughs>